0: Counting the men, women, children, and slaves who exited Egypt under Moses' human leadership, there were perhaps 4.8 million Jews who crossed the Red Sea. As you know, when they walked out of Egypt to freedom, they walked into a desert with challenges. God had his people fresh out of Egypt move around and not settle down. Many campsites and not a mega city was God's plan for his Jews at that time. Because many campsites and not a mega city required greater faith. And without faith, it's impossible please God. There in the desert... God expressed to Moses that he had a desire for a building to be built because God wanted to reside in a visible way in that large camp of 4.8 million campers. And thinking about constructing a home for omnipotent God was a bit like trying to stuff the ocean into a camping cooler. But even more challenging, to stuff God into a camping cooler that was constantly moving. Of course, it was the Lord who came up with the solution. He came up with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the very first concrete dwelling place that God Almighty commanded be built for him. There was no tabernacle in the Garden of Eden. There was no tabernacle in Egypt. God first asked for a place to be built for him in a desert. God wanted to dwell amongst his people. The tabernacle was a complex whose blueprint came from heaven. It was a complex that repeatedly was set up and repeatedly was torn down. It had fabric walls which surrounded a large area. And within that large area, moving into it from the outside through one gate it had on the east side, you first encountered some things. You encountered an altar of burnt offering. Then as you move slowly westward into the complex, past the altar of burnt offering, you got further in to see a lot of bronze. You came upon a bronze laver, a bowl. And still walking west, you saw the tent. And in that tent, you would come to find out that there were special things. First, there were two parts to the tent. The first part, the holy place, and the more inner part of the tent, the most holy place. In that holy place, within that tent, within that tabernacle walls, sitting there in the desert, in that holy place, there were three things. The table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. The second place inside the tent, the more difficult-to-access place within that tent, was called the Most Holy Place. This place only contained one special thing, the Ark of the Covenant. And as you would probably imagine, the holy place was separated from the most holy place. But what might surprise you and what you might not imagine to be the divider between the holy place and the most holy place was a simple curtain, a simple curtain. I want your mind's eye to travel with me further into the tabernacle and its details. I'm going to make some observations about the tabernacle that God prescribed be built for him as a place for him to visibly dwell among 4.8 million people in a desert. Because when we look at the tabernacle, we're going to see that it beautifully pointed ahead over the centuries of time to the person and to the work of the Lord Jesus. The person and the work that we will remember with memorial symbols a little later. Like a telescope helps to see you what's way ahead of you, so the tabernacle was for the Jews. And may I remind us that the Lord's Supper points back to the person and to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ like a monument. Which helps us to see what happened historically. The first observation I want us to see in the tabernacle is that God literally lived in the tabernacle. He lived in the most holy place. Between the cherubim angels' wings, which were located on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the God who made all, the God who is everywhere present at all times, localized himself that he could dwell in the most holy place between the wings of the cherubim angels that formed the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. God lived in the tabernacle. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which had the cherubim angels in gold sculpted on top of it, is called the mercy seat. The place where God's sinning people, whether they be post-exile Jews or others the mercy seat is where god localized his presence when they came out of egypt jesus christ our savior is called the mercy seat in the new testament gospel of john and in the epistle to the romans and so now so now god the holy spirit lives within you Not on mercy seat, not in a tabernacle, in you, if you're saved. The second observation is the tabernacle was not outwardly beautiful. Fabric walls, plenty of stakes in the ground, and plenty of guy ropes. Something we often fail to notice is what Isaiah 53, verse 2 predicted about our Messiah Jesus' appearance. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus' handsomeness was of character and heart and not necessarily of his outward appearance. The tabernacle was not outwardly beautiful. The third observation, the tabernacle was wh- where God lived with Israel only in an early part of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 14, tells us that Jesus tabernacled among the persons who were on earth when he came the first Christmas. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled, among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. The fourth observation, there were four main building materials which made up the Old Testament tabernacle. God, in his gracious, detailed blueprint of what the tabernacle should look like and what it should be built of, gave them four building materials. Wood, gold, silver, and bronze. Each of these four building materials were symbolic of things. The wood, Christ's humanity. The gold, God's holiness. The silver, Christ's redemption. And the bronze, God's judgment. Wood, Gold, silver, bronze, Christ's humanity, Christ's holiness, Christ's redemption, and Christ's judgment. The fifth observation is that you could only enter the tabernacle by one gate located on the east side of the tabernacle. After you entered the tabernacle through that one east gate, Everything that you first encountered was bronze. Everything had to do with you remembering God's right to judge sin. The first thing you would have seen were the bronze pillars. You also would have seen the bronze altar. You also would have seen the bronze laver, a large bowl. Even the outer courtyards posts of the tabernacle were set in bronze sockets. Holy God made his point, and he did so with a bronze exclamation point. You simply cannot worship God or commune with God or serve God without first facing up to your sins, without first being cleansed. We know, but may we never grow dull to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The sixth observation, once you as an Israelite were washed, Once you were allowed to move past the things of bronze, which stood for God's judgment, then you came to the door of the inside tent, which housed the holy place and the most holy place. In John 4, verse 24, Jesus told a woman, a wayward woman, who was trying to understand proper worship, Jesus said this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As it was back then, so it still is today in 2018. It is only the washed believer who can worship. It's only the forgiven believer who can praise. Because It is a washed and a forgiven believer whose spirit is right with God and knows the truth about both him or herself and God. It's that person who encounters, as it were, the bronze tabernacle furniture and realizes God has every right to judge sin who acknowledges personal sin, confesses personal sin, experiences personal forgiveness of personal sin, that is the person who is in the proper place to fellowship with the Lord and to serve the Lord with gladness. The Old Testament believer didn't get into that tent inside the walls of the tabernacle without first experiencing The bronze experience. The reality that God has the prerogative and the necessity to judge sin. Believers like us don't get to our places of worship or service without experiencing the cross's ongoing cleansing. Observation 7. Inside this tent, there was gold furniture, gold-covered furniture. And this particular gold-covered furniture, as per God's blueprint for the tabernacle, had to always be arranged in a set and certain pattern. If you took an aerial picture with a drone that we have today. If you took an aerial picture of the tent and it was somehow the roof was open and that drone took you over the tent where the holy place and the most holy place were located and where the gold furniture was to be set on an arranged pattern from that drone, you would see that the gold furniture is arranged in the pattern of the cross. the cross every time the tabernacle was re erected in the desert they knew exactly where each piece of gold furniture was to be placed and the configuration always was a perfect cross the cross was in the tent In John, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, we hear Jesus teaching, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Moses' snake was lifted up on a pole, and the Israelites were healed of their diseases by trusting in it. Later, God's Son was lifted up on a cross, and both believing Jews and believing Gentiles were forgiven of our sins by trusting him. There's so much more that could be said. But the bottom line is this Christ is pictured in the Old Testament tabernacle. The cross was in the tent. Observation eight. In the tabernacle days, all salvation came by entering through the one and only gate on the east side. Jesus said of himself in John 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then, being even more specific, our Savior in John 14, 6, narrowed the way to God in saying, I am the way and the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Back then, even if you were the most rambunctious Israelite among the 4.8 million Israelites in every campsite, you could not climb into the tabernacle by struggling to get yourself over the south or the west or the north fabric walls. You simply had to walk in the one and only available gate which was open to you on the east side of the complex. Back then, no matter how sincere and devoted a Jew might have been, Their own ways to get into the tabernacle were unacceptable. Only God's way was accepted. And of course, similarly, we can't climb into God's salvation, struggling to keep rules or working to be enlightened or being better than someone else or doing some good works to work off what some people call karma or bad life or doing more good than bad. All of those ways are our ways, and none of those ways are God's ways, and none of those ways are acceptable ways. Just like access to the tabernacle was restricted, access to salvation is restricted. But so available. All the Israelites had to do was walk through the flap in the outer t- a fabric wall on the east side. All that anyone now has to do to walk into God's salvation and peace with God and forgiveness in heaven one day is to come through the one gate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would dare hope that all of our ministries would remind persons in those ministries of that fact repeatedly. May we never assume that everybody in any of our ministries, that they're all saved. You might be surprised. The way that we access the salvation only Christ can give is that we walk through him as the open gate. We walk to Mount Calvary as his only cross, that was typified in the, most, the holy of holy places in the tabernacle. The cross was in the tent. The east gate of the tabernacle was a preview, a gracious foreshadowing of the gate for the sheep, you and I, to enter to have Jesus as our good shepherd. And so it's very clear we see Christ in the Old Testament tabernacle's details, and now we get ready to come to the Lord's Supper. Believers in Jesus are to come to this table. Others who are not yet believers in Jesus are not to come to this table until they become believers in Christ. In the Old Testament tabernacle's thinking, Those here without Jesus Christ are to stay outside of the fabric walls until they are with Jesus by faith by entering the only flap gate in the outer fabric wall, trusting him to be Lord and Savior. And still, back in the tabernacle times, the Old Testament priest had to enter the tabernacle's most holy place with blood, blood from a sacrificial animal acceptable to God. But now, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the once-for-all-time Lamb of God who shed his perfect blood, we remember that it's Jesus' blood which continually washes away our sins. And it's Jesus' blood which invites us to come to the table to worship. Back in the tabernacle times, Israel's atonement was made with animal blood, but in our times, our atonement has been made with Jesus' precious blood. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. By the way, you do know there are so many many watered-down churches that really aren't churches where their pastors are so afraid of public opinion that they will not mention cross in their preaching. I knew a pastor in Canada who would not reference the blood of Christ at the communion table. He would not handle the cup of juice, which is a symbol of the shed blood of Christ, because he wanted everybody to like him and some people didn't like the thought of Jesus' blood. God help us. In our times, our atonement has been made sure by Jesus Christ's shed blood and we unapologetically, humbly, and gratefully remember that the cup is a symbol to remind us of that precious blood. And so, the cross was in the tent. May I state the obvious? The cross should also be in you, because you are a tent. God says so. You are a tent. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. You're a tent. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You're a tent. And so am I. First Corinthians 5 1 and verse 4 told us that. Your body is a tent. And just like there was a tent in the tabernacle tent, there should be a tent in your tents. There should be a cross in your tents. The cross of Christ should have a central place in your tent, your life. The cross inside of you, inside of you who are a tent, should make a difference in your new life in Christ. Jesus' cross should be your wisdom. And Jesus' cross should be the source of your love. Jesus' cross should be your life's message. And Jesus' cross should be your true north. Jesus' cross should be your power over yourself and over Satan. Jesus' cross should be your power over the world. Jesus' cross should be your only boast. And Jesus' cross should be the basis of your identity. Jesus' cross should be the way you order all the furniture of your life. First Corinthians one twenty three and twenty four, Paul said, But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The cross should be how you arrange all the furniture of your life. Galatians 6, 14. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The tent had a cross inside of it. May our tents have crosses inside of them. Amen.